the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hi, everyone. Sami Zayn here, uh, sort of filling in for Renee on Oral Sessions. Um, here's what happened, okay? She asked me a little while ago to guest host during her maternity leave. Uh, I dawdled. I didn't get back to her quick enough. And then she's she's now back, apparently, from maternity leave. So I was still going to do a podcast for her. I was going to host one. But then what happened is she came on with me to do the introduction. And we ended up talking for about an hour and change. So we actually ended up just doing a podcast together. I was a guest again instead of a host. And then she ran off and she had mother duties to take care of. So this is sort of a bonus episode, I think. I I don't really know how they're going to lay it all up or how they're going to chop it up. But here's a little bonus episode. I didn't get to guest host, but I did touch on a lot of things with Renee that, uh, I don't know, were mildly interesting. Hopefully you enjoy it. I always enjoy talking to Renee. She is a wonderful person. She's not here, so I can compliment her now without it being weird. It's just such a lovable person. But you know this because you listen to her podcast. Anywho, I won't uh, I won't babble too much because I did that a lot already with Renee in the episode that you may or may not have already heard. Uh, but one idea I had when I did think that maybe I would guest host because uh, I'm not going to lie, I panicked for a second there. I panicked because I'm not the most well-prepared and I ramble. So when you put those two together, I, I was a little worried about guest hosting because I thought, what am I going to do? I'm just going to ramble. I'm going to lose train of thought. I, so what I did as a fail safe is I I, uh, put out a tweet and I said, hey, if you guys have any questions or things you want me to discuss, I'll I'll talk about them. So I'm going to do a little bit of that, I think, because I did cover a lot of other just rambling with Renee about the world and about the self. And uh, we'll see. Some of your questions may touch on that sort of stuff as well. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are up to. But if the electric chair segment taught me anything, it's that you can't always count on the fans' questions, <laughs> okay? It doesn't always go well. Um, but let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. Um, her producer on the show, Emilio, is here with us. What's up, Sam? How are you, buddy? Hi, buddy. Uh, I don't, I, again, I'm not well prepared. It's okay. I put out a tweet and I said, hey, guys, tweet me any questions you have or any topics you want me to discuss. I, I might talk about them. I might not. But then I'm so ill-prepared that I don't have a second device to look at the questions that I want to answer. I would have to do it on my phone, which I'm currently recording this conversation with, so I can't. I need Emilio here to throw the questions at me. So I'm not selecting them. He is. And we'll, we'll just see what you guys came up with. And let's just have a chat. Let's just have a little chat. To just piggyback off of what you and Renee discussed, I wanted to pick your brain about this because, you know, I believe and I'm from the the ideal of that we are born with this inherent ability, but society and other cultural instances poke and prod and prepare us in a way that maybe being born with that inherent instinct doesn't really polish. So I really wanted to get your feedback on that. So in regards to your career, Sammy Zayn, the professional wrestler, always had the inherent ability to entertain. But does that get developed over time, traveling the world as much as you did, being enriched by culture and just adventure, in the ring and out of the ring during travel, 
So are you born with your inherent ability or was it developed over time? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of uh, this is a, again, if you listen to the podcast already with Renee and myself, we talked a lot about the idea of nature and nurture and about, uh, you know, individualism and collectivism and how much of the individual shapes the collective and how much of the collective or, you know, society and culture shapes us. And I'm of the overall opinion, the overarching opinion that, um, we are kind of programmed almost entirely and that there are predispositions, let's say, you know, natural, just like the way dogs are, you know, like it's easier to see it in dogs, but we think we're so refined. We think we're something other than animals, but we're kind of just slightly more sophisticated dogs. And with dogs, if you don't train them, if you don't do anything, I mean, you may have dogs that, you know, their natural personality might be more gentle or more vicious or whatever, but ultimately the way the dog behaves is based on how you condition the dog. That's us just on a, you know, more complicated maybe more complicated. We don't even know. We don't really know the the existence of a dog. We don't understand what the consciousness, what it's like to experience consciousness as a dog. We don't know. Uh, we can speculate, but we don't know. So having said all that, I think we're just really, really well-programmed machine. So when you talk about my inherent ability as a performer, and performance is a funny thing, because obviously the more you perform, the better you get. I do think I had a I don't even want to call it natural predisposition to, let's say, being an entertainer. Because as I said with Renee, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that's a nature nurture thing. It could be that when I was uh, one years old or two years old or whatever it was, I did something funny that amused the adults that made them all laugh. And I, I took that as positive reinforcement. And, you, you know, you hang your hat on that little thing and little by little, that sort of becomes your personality. Like you're constantly searching that positive reinforcement. And uh, that's, that just becomes the story you tell yourself about who you are and who you are. I think, I don't think there's anything set in stone. I just think it's a story you tell yourself, you know, I remember ages ago, ages, ages ago, when I was on dating sites, I remember, um, and I will answer your question, by the way, I'm just being going in a real (laughs) long circle to get there. But I remember dating sites, This is, by the way, if Renee wasn't on the podcast with me, this is what it would have been, just an endless stream of hopping from one (laughs) subject to another. But I promise I will will tie it back. But dating sites, you know, dating sites are just marketing. You know, you're marketing yourself. It's kind of sad in a way, but whatever, that's, that's, that's what it is, right? I mean. Yeah, I'm on them. I know. Yeah, no, well, not just dating sites, dating, courting, courting, the courting ritual. Even if you take it off the internet and you take it to a bar or you take it to the grocery store, you take it to the street, the courting process is just, you know, it's marketing before marketing, you know, it's like, let me present myself as the best mate for you and why I'm the best mate. So I remember just as an example, you'd see, I'd see girls, I'm sure guys are even worse with this, but they'd be like, well, I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm this. I'm just reading words and nothing about these words are suggesting that you're smart or funny. I'm not reading anything funny here. Show me you're funny. Say something funny. So are you funny? Or is this just part of the little personality that you've crafted for yourself? You know, you tell yourself, you know, I'm Sammy. And Sammy, the Sammy that I like to be, well, Sammy's a funny guy. Sammy's very articulate. And Sammy's a deeper thinker than most people. So it just becomes this little story you tell yourself about yourself because you're creating yourself. To tie it all back to the question of being a performer and how those uh, how the journey has shaped my ability as a performer, 
I would say yes, for sure, but in no other way or in no deeper way than your experiences as a human being shape you as a human being. I think it's the same thing. Obviously, I've gotten better because I've put in more reps and I put in more hours from when I started to now. But uh, that evolution, I think, is no different from, from life in that the experiences and the environments around you shape you. You fill in the blanks and you borrow from those experiences and you say, oh, I'll make that part of me. So if you listen to the podcast with, with Renee, it kind of goes back to that thing of like the authentic self. And maybe there is no authentic self, but maybe the art of wrestling and all that is about, can you believe the lie well enough to make people think it's authentic? And the ones who are really good probably don't even know they're lying to themselves. You know, <laughs> they just think this is me, but they don't know where me comes from. Well, I think that also just has to do with even outside a professional wrestling ring. I think we have all, because I've taken a ton of sociology classes during my college years when I was trying to, you know, have a minor in, in something else other than communications. And one of my professors, his underlying thing the entire semester was we all wear masks and each mask we take off and put on has to do with a specific instance, person or place. So I genuinely believe that a person's personality is a collection of fragments from different masks 100%. we had to put on during the day. Honestly, I genuinely believe that. So I don't know if there's anything that has to do with an authentic self, because even if you think about how we were raised, right, like Italian Catholic from New York, right? Am I who I am based on the moral compass that my parents instilled in me? And then what about them? How were they raised? Is it just fragments and shadows of everything else that come into us? I think so almost entirely. And I think the variable that, um, that skews it slightly is whatever percentage of nature is in your personality. So for example, you hear this a lot of like twins are a great subject for, for these sort of tests about the nature of, uh, of, of, I don't know, the nature-nurture conversation, they'll, they'll do a lot of tests with, with twins because for all intents and purposes, they have the same genetics, same biological makeup, uh, and they'll be raised in what you perceive to be the same way, but they become two very different people in a lot of cases. And in some cases, there's there's strange similarities, right? So there's there's arguments to be made on both sides of that conversation. I think the nature part of it is how that upbringing and all that stuff, all the, all the stuff that's... Uh, you know, indoctrination and uh, culturing and all this sort of stuff that's done to you and the shaping and the molding, how that interacts with your natural predisposition. The same event could happen to two kids and it turns one kid into, you know, maybe a monster or a bully or something. And it does the exact opposite effect to somebody else and makes them a very sensitive or an empathetic person who doesn't want that repeated to them. I think that's the crapshoot in the, in, in the, in the nature part of it. But I think by and large, I skew much more towards the idea that we are just very, very well-programmed and well-taught animals. I think we're sophisticated animals that just don't go to the bathroom outside. And we used to go to the bathroom outside, <laughs> like not long ago. No. And that's the thing that I really have trouble getting my head around is like how different the world was so recently. I, I mean, I think about all these little things that are just so new, like climate control. I sleep in a climate controlled room every night. And I think to myself, you know, I'm in Florida and the native population here from, you know, whatever, thousands of years ago, and how did they sleep in this unbearable humidity at night? You know, 
And the air conditioning is new. It's what, what, what are we talking about here? Hundred years? Not even. This is a it's a drop of water in, in the scope of human history. We're living in such unprecedented times. Even the fact that we're doing this on a phone, on a cell phone, what? This blows my mind because, you know, pre-pandemic, and I can even speak for my video producer, James, this wasn't a thing. Video Zoom conferencing to record podcasts and then making sure the audio is good and the visual synced up. Like, this is a whole new thing that you have to adapt or die. And I think everything has an evolutionary standpoint to a certain degree. Like, even the, the smallest comfort of air conditioning now will start to cause other types of reactionary thoughts to other things. Well, so here's here's one that just to jump back on like the story of your created self, right? So part of the impression that a lot of people have about me is that I'm a very happy person, that I'm generally a very, you know, uh, upbeat, happy-go-lucky. And maybe that's partly true, not entirely true, but that's the perception of me. And a lot of times the perception influences my own actions. I think it's like a Again, there's a bit of chicken and the egg there, but then it becomes, I start telling myself that I'm a happy person. So the story of Sammy is he's this happy guy. Am I creating that story and people are latching onto it or do people kind of have that perception? So I latched onto it kind of doesn't matter. The reason I bring it up is because I've realized that my upbeat attitude and my general cheeriness is really contingent on a lot of things going my way. You know, I focus a lot on gratitude. Because I, I, as I talked about with Renee, I recognize that so much of this, of this incredible life that I live, is just luck. And part of the luck that we're even talking about right now is just being born a human in a very highly developed world in the 21st century and experiencing things in this form, like we're talking about with climate control and the internet having access to all these things. You know, that, that I had no hand in that. I just happened to be born at this part of the timeline in human history. I'm reaping the rewards of all this stuff. So all this to say, I have been very, very lucky. In so many ways, I've lived a very, very good life. And so maybe that contributes to my sunny disposition. But when little things that I'm accustomed to get taken away, suddenly I'm not so cheery. <laughs> so for example, if my AC is busted and I'm, I'm talking two degrees, suddenly I'm furious. I'm, I'm acting ah, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm a very, very delicate machine. Very delicate. We all are. I think we become, we become these delicate little machines because we get accustomed to you know, if we were on the, the, this call right now and it started chopping up because the signal was weak, think of the instant rage we jumped to. <laughs> you know what I mean? But even the AC, I mean, if I have it set to 70, which is my comfort zone, and it's 72, that's an unpleasant evening. <laughs> it's like so delicate. And so my, my happiness or my cheeriness is contingent on all these things that go my way. And when they don't go my way, I've, I've recently realized I can be kind of an ugly person in some ways. I can be very impatient. And that impatience, I realized, is just ego. It's just uh, entitlement. It's like, I want what I want, and I want to have it. And if I don't have it, nah, you know, what is that? That's what it is. It's really, really an entitlement. And that's what I recently realized. Right, but you're putting in the work during the whole self-inquiry phase of going inward to figure out how can I be the best outward. So one of my things, I read a book from, it's called 40 Days to a Personal Revolution by Baron Baptiste, and he speaks about this. He speaks about stripping the ego and taking away the thing that you know. What is this thing about you? Get rid of it. It's bull. See you later. 
get it out the door. Now it's time to figure out what makes you tick really as a person. So you're talking about how you get enraged if the air conditioning is at 72 and you said that it could trigger to the ego. Well, now that you bring it to the attention and you know that that's the trigger, now you have to really figure out Well, where does it stem from? Because it just doesn't stem from 72 degrees. No, 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 no. It stems from something else. And then that's when you have to backtrack and do all the work. And man, let me tell you, I've been doing this personal inquiry work for about three years now. And I got volumes of journals where I try to figure all this out. And what's this one thing that pinpointed me to just flip my shit? Yeah. And it's a journey, dude. So like I I like conversations like this because it's so hardy for the soul that it makes you strip away. And even in the even in the world of professional wrestling, you're not really getting conversations like this on a wrestling podcast. <laughs> you're yeah, not. So that's why I tried to relate some of this stuff to wrestling, but I keep failing at it at every turn. But my, my point is this is wrestling. It's the same. There's a saying, and I'm going to probably butcher the saying, but I'll paraphrase. It's something along the lines of when one knows the truth broadly, one can see it in all things. So when you start to understand the truth and the nature of yourself and the nature of the world around you broadly, then you start to see that truth everywhere, including in in, in the wrestling business. And, you know, you start to see, as I was saying with Renee, if these things in our sociology, it took these sociology classes and you start to understand these different norms and mores and things are different in these cultures and we do think in taboos and all these things. And they're different from country to country. You start to realize like, well, well then this is very objective or subjective rather. There's no objective nature to culture. It's subjective and the goalposts can move whatever willy nilly. And so when you apply that to wrestling, you start seeing like, Oh, wrestling's this art form and we can kind of dictate what matters, what doesn't matter, what's good, what's not good. You know what I'm saying? We can, we create our own reality and create our own culture. That's what essentially professional wrestling is. It's right. this insulated culture of other norms that don't make sense to somebody that has never been in that world before. It plays on social norms. And that's, that's kind of what I like about wrestling in some ways is because the world can be very, very complicated, especially now in this age of so much information and you don't know which, what to trust. Wrestling is very simple in some ways, because you have these parameters. And I know people say that, oh, as wrestling's evolved, it's less about good guy and bad guy. It's a bit more shades of gray. And that's partly true. But ultimately, things that make you bad, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. Like if I jump a guy with a steel chair and beat him within an inch of his life, you're like, yo, that was bad. You know, you're not going to go, well, you didn't see what happened earlier. Like there are things that are kind of universally understood as good or bad, virtuous or dastardly. There's almost a beautiful simplicity in that because the world is so complicated. You can go to wrestling and we've created this world where here's what's virtual and we can play with it a little bit. And that's what makes it really fun is when you play with it a little bit with those degrees of gray, but you don't want to get too far out of the box. You still want to stay in a box where you're manipulating these social norms and manipulating the human condition and playing with psychology that you know, you know what makes people tick and you're exploiting that. When you get too far away from it, it could still be cool, but it's almost not the same animal anymore. What you're doing currently on camera for like the last year, how do you work within that structure that you just spoke about? What separates the Sami Zayn of now as opposed from the underdog from the underground? 
Like, what do we, how do we do what we just said that we're doing? So there's little things like nobody likes a whiner. Nobody likes uh, somebody with a persecution complex, <laughs> you know, and uh, you take things that, you know, I know it sounds simple and elementary in a way, but the art is in the craftsmanship and how you execute it. But the generalities, if you just say them generally, you're kind of like, yeah, duh. Nobody likes a whiner. Nobody likes a complainer. Nobody likes someone who thinks everybody's out to get them. These are things that are kind of universal dislikes. And so then you try to embody that. But what separates good from bad is the difference between the generalities and the details. And maybe I'm saying this as someone who's been doing this 20 years and I have a real appreciation for details, but not just in wrestling and anything in the music I listen to and everything, you know, like the Beatles, I love the Beatles. And some of my favorite Beatles songs, if you really listen to what's going on, it's really not a lot. Like if you listen to come together as an example, what's going on in that song? Almost nothing. It's like, there's nothing musically. They're not setting the world on fire, but the little they're doing is so good. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's beauty and simplicity when it's performed. Well, that's the genius is when you can take something very simple And it can be appreciated on a really deep level. Like if you're a musician, you're listening to that baseline and that composition and you're like, whoa, man, who wrote this song? Great. And if you're just like someone who knows nothing about music and you just like pop music and catchy songs, you're going to love that song too. So there's something to be enjoyed no matter what your level of uh, understanding or knowledge of, of that is. And to me, that's what I've enjoyed about the character is putting these details into something that generally you could just sum up the Sami Zayn character in a few words and say, ah, persecution complex thinks everyone's out to get them. But how you execute it and the details you put into that are what's going to separate it from being, oh, okay, like I get it and you move on versus being something that you can be really invested in and want to see and just gravitate towards. And that's what I shoot for. You know, Sam, I'm going to start calling you the Carl Sagan of wrestling <laughs> because it just, it, <laughs> it just well, hits, look, man. Let's do so, this because otherwise we're going to do another hour of, 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 of existential stuff. Let's do some of these Q&A. Let's take some of the questions that these fans asked and uh, answer a couple of them. Okay, so this one is from Maria. And she goes, you often hear people say that they wish they had more creative freedom for their ideas slash character direction. Looking back now, has there ever been a time you've been glad you were told no by the higher ups, i.e. an idea that sounded good at the time, but has aged poorly? I'll give you the closest answer to that that I can think of. And not even I won't even get too specific, but here's what I've realized. This is an important lesson to learn coming to WWE. And this is something I actually realized recently when I started talking about my career with someone. I started just word vomit. And then I started realizing, oh, this was a pivotal moment in my career. This is where I started thinking more in terms of stories and not just matches and character arches and all that arcs and all that kind of thing. I first started really getting handsy with my storytelling and stuff like that. When I did this program with Kevin on the in Ring of Honor in like 2010, we did a year long story. So that was the first time I really, Kevin and I worked together on this thing to tell a long, drawn out story. And then here's what happens when you start doing things well or you start getting rewarded for it with the fans is you start to think, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but the, the slippery slope about that is you start maybe getting married to your ideas. And you almost become a little egocentric where you're like, no, no, trust me. I know what I'm doing. This will work. 
How do I know it'll work? Because I have a good track record. So trust me, let me do my thing. But then you start to work for this bigger company where, you know, you're, you're doing the stories that they're asking you to do. And there are definitely times you're like, no, no, trust me, trust me. You got to do it this way. And you become married to an idea. And that's something that I've been better at letting go of over the last couple of years, because I had this realization, it's going to sound wrong, but it's like almost anything works. <laughs> it sounds wrong when you say it, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is I've, I've had things, let's say uh, promos, angles, little things where I was like, trust me, we got to do it this way. It'll be so great. And the answer is just, no, we're doing it that way. And guess what? I do it that way. And it's great. It works. It works. It's still fine. Would it have been great if we did it the other way, my way? Maybe, probably, you know, because I like to think I have a pretty good grasp on it. Maybe I would have missed a couple of times. Sure. And I have missed a couple of times for sure. There have been times where I asked, please, let's do this. And it didn't go the way I thought. And I was like, oh, that's on me. It happens. But what I kind of start to realize is uh, you can do things other ways. And this is a good life lesson, not just a good wrestling lesson, but you can do things other ways, and it'll still be good, especially if you're already pretty good. There are, there are a lot of ways to get there. So I don't have a specific instance where I thought, no, no, we have to do it this way. And then I, I thought to myself, Woo, thank God we didn't do it my way. I don't have a specific instance, but I definitely do feel like there's been a growth over the last couple of years where I've realized it doesn't have to be my way and it'll still be fine. It'll still be good. Maybe that's some professional and personal growth. I don't know. So Darren wants to know, I'm sure you may or may not have answered this before, and I may not remember, but what are your feelings on some fans constantly comparing you to El Generico? And did either of you inspire the other? Because I'm a big fan of both. I would definitely say, I think he was around before me, right? The timeline, I feel like he was around a little bit before me. Uh, our styles are very similar. Some say we uh, wrestling boots are the same. So there's definitely a lot of overlap I appreciate it. I take it as a compliment. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his. I, I, uh, it, se it seems weird to say I'm proud of El Generico because it's not me, it's someone else, but I am. I am. I'm proud. I really, I hold everything. I hold his run in very, very high, high regard and high esteem. And I'm very proud of all of that. And if people say I remind them of Generico, I'll take it. <laughs> I thought he was pretty good. I like him. I was a fan of him many a time at Ring of Honor. Good guy. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. So um, Haluva Kicks wants to know, what would you say to your younger self when barely starting out in the wrestling business? It's crazy that I'm here. It really is. Because the idea of making it to WWE when I was 17, training to be a wrestler, just a little anecdote here. My training was very, very, uh, basically, I don't want to go into the whole thing. The way I got trained was a friend of mine that I went to high school with got a job as an intern on a wrestling radio show, and he met a local independent wrestler. This guy agreed to train us. So I literally trained in a backyard on the grass, and all he really showed me how to do was kind of tie up, take a wrist lock, bump, and I took to it very naturally because I already, you know, I was a pretty athletic kid. I was skateboarding. I was always a hyperactive, always kind of moving around. And so I took to it very naturally, especially because I've been watching it my whole life. I only trained for about six months before I had my first match. But around three months in, the other two guys that were training with me started to kind of dip out. But I was really, you know, I really wanted to do this. So I was always kind of calling and saying, hey, are we training this week? What's going on? What's going on? So the very last training session I ever had, it was in like November or December. It was very cold. It's in Montreal. And we used to train at this other guy's backyard. But he wasn't training anymore. So my trainer came over to my house and he trained me in my, in my backyard on that last week. 
And I was taking these flip bumps on the grass and it was frozen because it was December and all this stuff. I don't know why this is burnt into my head, but my mom came back there and she met my trainer and she's like, do you think, uh, is it, is, is he good? Is he good? You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's very good. But I thought he's just blowing smoke too. You know, he's like, and I remember she said, do you think he has a future in, in wrestling? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I remember just thinking, <laughs> what? A future? What are you talking about? The idea of making it a living was so incomprehensible. It's like, yeah, I kind of wanted to do that, but it just didn't seem like even a possibility. It was just something I, I don't know how to articulate it. It's just something I wanted to do. And yeah, I wanted to get here, but I didn't really kind of think it would happen. But I also kind of did. Very weird. Hard to put into the right words. All this to say, <laughs> long-winded ass answer here. Um, as far as the wrestling stuff, I'm not sure I would change a whole lot because it all led to being here and being at this point in my career where I'm pretty pleased with where I've arrived. Would you tell yourself, yeah, you actually had a future in this? Uh, uh, the only reason I'm saying I don't know that I would put that in his head. Younger me now I'm talking about. Because that sort of like, I don't want to call it naivete, but that obliviousness to the monetary future might have hindered my development. If I was looking, and I think about this a lot, going on the journey that I went on and then coming to developmental FCW and NXT and seeing people who are coming in from scratch and learning the business from here, like they start out learning about the business, learning about the business. I wasn't trying to learn about the business. I was trying to learn the craft. And I think that's the big difference. So if I tell younger me, like, hey, man, you're going to do good business and there is a future and there's money involved here. I think that would have skewed me away from almost the purity and the naivete that I had to just be the best wrestler I could be. So I don't know that I would tinker with that because that obliviousness in some ways is kind of what got me here because it was always trying to be the best wrestler, the best wrestler and not make the most money, make the most money, making the most money possible has only been uh, in the latter stages of my career. So when I get asked by younger wrestlers now, for a piece of advice, I just tell them work everywhere, work as much as possible and do as many shows as possible and just do it all. The bad shows, the good shows, do as much as possible because that's how you'll grow. It's so funny that you said that because we've had Dan Housen on oral sessions and he said that that was one piece of advice that you gave him that really stuck with him. I did? Yes. <laughs> really? Yes, he said that. You, huh. He said it for verbatim as how you said it. It's wow, pinpoint so accuracy. Pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> that's really funny. And But, you know, I, I don't know. I'm glad it, maybe it worked. All right, I don't know. It seemed to work for me. I, it seems to be working well for him. Okay, so this one's from Tom. Do you have any favorite Habs players? The more obscure, the better. I, I get. I got asked this a lot this past playoff run because I did some some stuff with the Canadians. They asked me who my favorite players were growing up, and a couple of them were kind of obscure because I was born in the '80s, and so my favorite player as a kid was Russ Courtnall, number six. Patrick Lewis obviously was huge in the city. Someone in more recent memory that I'm a big fan of, and in fact, the Canadians, the organization was making me a jersey, and they said, "Hey, do you want to name a number back there?" And I picked Tom Kostopoulos, number six, <laughs> also number six. Funny enough, I love Tom Kostopoulos. I just thought he was great. He would fight all the time. Great teammate. He would always drop the, the gloves. If one of his teammates got hit, he was always there to answer the call. Never won a fight. Never won a fight. <laughs> but he always fought. He would always fight. Oh, man. 
And, you know, I grew up in a pretty Greek community. So the fact that he was Greek, I just loved the whole thing. He entertained me to no end. I, I love Tom Kostopoulos. Great, great character guy. And now this year, we're looking good. Cole Caulfield. Eh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about our future. Mark wants to know how gratifying was it that Montreal took out Toronto? I feel like the the rivalry between Montreal and Toronto has maybe cooled off a little bit in the last few years, which is strange to say because we were in the Canadian division with them this past year. But it's not like it was a few years ago where it was a bit nastier and the league was even a bit nastier. You know, there's obviously not as much fighting and it's more of a, a speed and skill game nowadays. And they have a lot of speed and a lot of skill. It's actually a little, it, it was humbling a little bit because they, they've built a really good team and they were smoking us left and right. But man, yeah, it felt amazing to come back. I'm not saying, it, it was de- definitely sweeter because it was the Leafs. But coming back from a 3-1 deficit, you're a sports fan, obviously. I see you've got the Yankees jacket on there. Any team coming back from a 3-1 deficit is, wow, what a feeling. And on top of it, on top of it, if it's your rivals like that, your historic rivals, like even if things cool off between the Yankees and the Sox, you know, let's just say, because, you know, organizations change, new personnel, the, the rivalry might not be as hot for a few years. The Yankees come back from 3-1 down and beat the Sox. That's, I'm sorry, that's a great feeling, you know? It would be against any team, but doubly sweet against the, the, the Sox, right? Oh, I'm sitting there and I'm watching 14 hours of straight baseball if it's tied just to see them come back. <laughs> just because you have yeah, to. Yeah. As a fan, you have to. And, and it felt unfathomable. It, when we lost game four and we went down 3-1, I was like, okay, what? Well, you know, it's done. And that's fine. But then we won. And then we won again. And then it becomes, wait a minute, can we win this series? And then you do and you just can't believe it. Oh, man. Actually, now you know, I'm downplaying it. I was like, yeah, whatever was cool. But now that I'm thinking on it, it was awesome. It was awesome. I want to end with this one because I think this is the most serious one. So this one comes from Bojangles. And this person writes, I'm going through a rough period right now. And I want to ask, have you ever faced major anxiety, depression, or underwent a similar mental health issue? And what did you do to break out of the pattern and get your mindset back on track? This one's a touchy one, obviously, because I am very fortunate to have never really experienced a serious mental health crisis. I've never really, no, I've never suffered anxiety. I mean, I've felt anxiety, but I haven't had bouts of anxiety. I've probably been bummed out, but I haven't dealt with depression. And I'm very fortunate about that. And, you know, going back to what I had talked about with Renee, I just feel like that's kind of good luck. And part of it, I think, is... I've led a very lucky life. I haven't befallen, like I haven't been, I haven't had major tragedies. I haven't had major lulls in my life. And I think about that all the time. And because of that, I have this immense gratitude and this compassion that comes as a byproduct uh, for people that do go that way, that do suffer from these things. And then it circles back around to gratitude that I haven't had to deal with those things. As I'll just back up a little bit to what we were talking about. If the air conditioner being 72 makes me fly off the handle, <laughs> I don't know how I would react to serious, serious tragedy. Maybe I'm downplaying it a little bit because I've definitely dealt with some things in my life, but nothing that's really put me in a serious rut. And this is another chicken in the egg type situation. I don't know if it's because I have this gratitude that kind of shields me from it, or if it's because I've had this good life and that's why the gratitude comes. But I think the, the common denominator, regardless of whether it's one or the other, is really gratitude because it's very hard to have negative thoughts cloud your mind when you're just so focused on 
how grateful you are for the good things in your life. Now, again, I'm very cautious to be saying this because I don't want to diminish anybody's struggles by saying like, oh, you're just not being grateful enough. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in my own life, I feel like the answer for me, even if I have, you know, I'm not riddled with serious anxiety or depression, but if I have things that knock me down a peg or two, what quickly picks me back up on my feet, and again, this is just me, is really focusing on all the things in my life that I'm grateful for. Again, I'm saying this from a position of privilege because I haven't actually dealt with it on a very serious level. But the thing that just picks me up when I'm a little bit down or just gives me perspective, it just helps me center myself, is realize is the, is the gratitude for being able to experience all of this at all. The fact that we're alive as human beings in the developed world in the 21st century, total crapshoot. I had nothing to do with it. I'm getting to experience planet Earth and human consciousness at this stage. And I just think that is so mind-blowing on its own that I'm just overwhelmed with awe and gratitude. I'm just stunned by the fact that I'm alive, honest to God. I'm stunned that we're having this conversation. You know, you're talking about Italian Catholic from New York, Arab Muslim from Montreal. Where did your parents come from? Where did my grandparents come from? Where did your, you know, what's the journey, the insane timeline that made this conversation happen right now? What are the odds? It's mind blowing when you think about it. So just the fact that we exist and let alone are having contact with one another right in this moment is so overwhelmingly impressive to me that I kind of, my mind, again, I I just attribute it to luck. My mind tends to focus on that, on how impressive this all is and how grateful I am to even be around to experience it. I can't speak about this subject with any kind of authority because I don't know. I don't know what it's like for people, but I'm just saying from my personal experience, that's what kind of keeps me keeps me happy, keeps me feeling good. So when you zoom out a little bit, I think it can go one of two ways. I think it can make people feel even worse because they realize like, oh man, when in the grand scheme of this, this is all kind of insignificant. Does that make me insignificant? Maybe not because it's all significant because you're here to experience it. And that's what I think is kind of beautiful about zooming out is you realize, man, I'm just a drop. And these, these problems that I have, the negativity that I feel, it's insignificant. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things. And it shouldn't cloud my experience of an otherwise incredible existence. Well, Sammy, we appreciate you hanging out and kicking it with Renee and then tapping into having this conversation with me. Is there anything you want to plug real quick before we skedaddle? Not really. You can watch me on uh, TV, wrestling every week. Thank you all for the support. Thank you for listening to this conversation. I hope you got something out of it. If nothing else, just to maybe think, uh, think about all these things. It's interesting when you think about it for more than a second, I think. Uh, and of course, there's always Sammy for Syria that I'm always trying to get eyes on. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this already kind of know about it. But uh, I, I work with an organization called SAMS. We run a mobile clinic in Syria that delivers medical care to internally displaced people, people who've had their homes destroyed and are living in camps and these sort of things. We have a mobile clinic that is entirely run by people's donations. It delivers medical aid to Syrian civilians who've been affected by the war. Anything you want to donate goes a very, very long way at SammyForSyria.com. I'm always looking to get eyes on that. Um, but otherwise, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Uh, I'm very happy to have been here today. 
And as for us, you can follow Renee on Twitter and Instagram at Renee Paquette. We also have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe. You will see this man and me have a conversation on our YouTube. And yeah, make sure you follow the volume sports for all things sports related things. And you can follow me, Twitter and Instagram at Emilio Sparks. Remember, zoom out and just be in awe about how good life can be. Again, that is Sammy Zane. Thank you very much, dude. Thanks, man. It's fun. 